Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast, or simply have an interest in sport, you've come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation, and as always, plenty of entertainment. Well, how are we this week? I travelled to Portugal on Monday as part of a team working on supporting SMEs in the health food sector. Some of you may recall I hosted a number of webinars for NUI Galway during the pandemic, which were part of a European Commission project. And this week, I got to travel to Portugal to meet some of the international partner organisations in person and facilitate a networking event as part of the programme for the week. How cool is that? A slight diversion away from sports announcing and presenting, but what a fabulous opportunity. Thanks to Professor Jane Walsh for the invitation to contribute and be part of the project. We've already been on an adventure from Lisbon to Castelo Branco, and we'll finish up the week in Porto before flying home on Friday. Temperatures are a balmy 40 plus degrees at the moment. Yes, 40 plus. I am officially melting. I definitely wasn't prepared for this kind of heat. Not sure how all of you athletes race in such hot conditions. Serious kudos to you all. I was delighted to MC the Irish Runner 10 mile race in the Phoenix Park on Sunday for Athletics Ireland, which was also the national 10 mile championships. Mick Clahossi, podcast guest on the show at episode number 80, won his 12th national title after a great battle with second placed Eskander Turkey. And in the women's race, it was Kira Toner from Derry who won her first national title, beating Neve Clifford to the line. Rounding out the men's podium in third was Sean Doyle with Sorsha Lucknan taking the bronze medal in the women's race. It was so great to see lots of people on the course taking on the distance and many for the very first time. And of course, the glorious sunshine in the park on Sunday morning was a bonus. There was lots of fun had in Bolton last week at Ironman UK across an epic weekend of racing. I did my first run in about six weeks and my first run post-COVID, taking on the Bolton night run 5k and I loved it. Although the hills in Queen's Park were only fun on the downhill sections. Despite some drizzle on the night, it was a great reintroduction to some running and I've managed to get a couple of runs done over the past couple of days too. Iron Kids on Saturday was class, the biggest Iron Kids in the world this year. Then race day Sunday was just mammoth. There were lots of highlights throughout race day, but the one that has captured everyone's heart and minds was the incredible finish of Dave Riley, who crossed the finish line with four seconds to spare before the 17 hour cutoff. Yes, you heard that correctly. Four seconds to spare to finish in 16, 59, 56. Holy moly. It was so exciting and nerve wracking to witness. However, the cheers of joy, celebration and sheer relief on the finish line when the clock stopped as Dave crossed the line was sensational. A definite goosebump moment that will stay with me for a long, long time. Congratulations to the Ironman UK champions on the day, George Martindale and Dee Allen, and every athlete who crossed the line to claim their hard-earned medal and hear those words, you are an Ironman. There were lots of excited but very tired bodies at the awards on the Monday, accepting slots to the Ironman World Championships in Kona in October. Next up Ironman-wise for me is the new Ironman 70.3 Swansea in Wales on the 7th of August, followed by the mother of all triathlon weekends in Ireland on August 13th and 14th, with the Ironman 70.3 and Ironman Cork taking place in Yall. The excitement is building across the country for the event and we are definitely on the final countdown to an incredible and much-anticipated weekend of triathlon in Cork. In the meantime, I'll be at the Francis Thornton Memorial Swim this Saturday in Galway, where swimmers will take on the mighty task of swimming 13 kilometres from Auchinish in Clare to the Black Rock Diving Towers in Salt Hill in Galway. Let's hope the weather plays ball for the event and the jellyfish stay well away from Galway Bay on the day. 
Then it's Galway Races time and I'm delighted to host the first furlong event in the Ardalon Hotel in support of the National Breast Cancer Research Institute. Another fantastic event and a fun day out. It's all go, thankfully. Now, before we get into this episode, a quick shout out to our amazing Try Talking Sport Partners, Newasan, the skin and body care recovery brand based in Galway. Be sure to check out their products on www.newasan.com and use the code TTS15 to get a 15% discount on their product range. I love the products and use them religiously. Honestly, if you haven't tried them, you are missing a trick. There are lots of events listed on the Try Talking Sport website. If you are looking to enter an event, you can do so directly on the site. Or if you are a race director or event organiser looking to list your race or event, then please do get in touch. Go check out the listings on www.trytalkingsport.com. So now to this week's episode with Becky Woods, which was recorded a couple of weeks ago. The Dublin native is no stranger to success in sport, having represented Ireland in both running and basketball from a young age. In recent years, she has turned her hand to triathlon and cycling, excelling in both and embracing the opportunity to train and race at home and abroad. As a child, she was described as never standing still, always on the go, a trait that has seen her excel in sport no matter what the discipline or choice of activity. Working as a speech and language therapist in the National Rehabilitation Hospital in Dublin, sport is not only her passion, but it's also her outlet for fun, socialising and delivering some standout performances, including runner-up placings in the Triathlon Ireland National Series in 2018 and 2019. She went on to win the Triathlon Ireland National Duathlon Series in 2019 and was runner-up in the Duathlon National Championships that year. Winner of the Hardman Bantry Middle Distance Race in 2020 and the Hardman Waterville Middle Distance Race in 2021, she successfully executed a great performance in only her third middle distance race at Ironman 70.3 Marbella in May of this year to finish as the fastest female age group athlete on the day, stamping her ticket to the Ironman 70.3 World Championships in Utah later this year. Racing her bike as part of the all-human Velo Revolution cycling team since 2020, her cycling trophy cabinet is also bursting at the seams with the team prize at the 2020 National Cycling Championships. In 2021, she was second in the Cycling Ireland National Road Series, the Irish National Hill Climb Championships, and she took runner-up in the best Irish rider classification at Ross Naman. Coached by Olympian Gavin Noble of Hop Hop, another former guest on the show on episode number 50, go check it out. Becky is thriving in triathlon and with her spot secured for the Ironman 70.3 World Championships in Utah in October, her eyes are firmly on a solid performance in the States. And similar to her training buddy Hilary Hughes, Becky may seek to secure her pro card post-World Championships. An exciting prospect not only for Becky, but also for the sport of triathlon in Ireland, as these female athletes represent not only themselves, their club and country on the international stage, but they provide the inspiration and example for others to follow as they embark on their own personal journeys in sport. Becky's passion for life, sport and fun is infectious. Her positive outlook and determination to succeed, coupled with her desire to never stand still, has seen her thrive and achieve her sporting goals and ambitions from a very young age. And I have no doubt there is a lot more to come for Becky Woods in the future, so watch this space. Now, go grab a cuppa and enjoy the show. Becky Woods, welcome to Try Talking Sport. Thank you, super excited to be here. Where are you? Are you still in Marbella? Are you at home? Joanne, I wish I was still in Marbella. A taste of sun was long awaited after what, two and a half years of COVID. So uh, no, I'm I'm back home in Dublin, (laughs) back in my apartment. But thankfully had the day off work today. Um, Oh, oh, that's not So hey, look, that's pretty cool. (laughs) You're rounding out and dusted. Rounding out a day with the chat with Joanne on the podcast. I love hey, it. Hey, look, what better way to finish a day? <laughs> Especially on a Monday. <laughs> Tuesday? So, what? Is it Tuesday? 
It's okay. <laughs> you see, you've got to remember, like when I go away to the UK and I do a race, I travel like Thursday or Friday and I come home on a Monday. So I always lose a day. So I didn't actually realize today was Tuesday. Jan, it sounds like you're making up a few excuses here. <laughs> I'm always in the same boat. So normally I actually have a Wednesday off work, but I was asked to switch it this week. So I keep thinking like the lads are starting the Ross today, you know, the Irish lads. And so I'm totally confused as well, but I probably would have said Wednesday, not Monday. <laughs> Don't scare everybody. Yeah, I'm totally confused. Absolutely totally confused. And I'm just in off a bike, uh, bike spin as well. So I probably have the like a big, huge red face on me as well. <laughs> hey, look, I think that's a... Our, our natural makeup these days for any triathlete or athlete. <laughs> that, that is true. But speaking of Marbella, Becky Woods, congratulations on a superb result in Marbella. Tell me all about it. Thank you. First of all, uh, to be honest, Joanne, I was just absolutely ecstatic to make it to the start line. First of all, a super bumpy road, I think is an understatement uh, in my journey to get there. So to be on that start line, I've never been so excited just to race. I think normally I'd be a little bit nervous, a bit you know, tentative like any anybody would be starting their first Ironman 70.3. But uh, I actually just could not wait to get out there. I felt like there was no pressure. The vibes, the atmosphere was insane. Super, super cool. The announcer was, I mean, he definitely had a couple of shots of coffee that morning. <laughs> it was about 6 a.m. and he was just on fire, like jazzing us all up, getting us all ready. So it was, it was just great to be there, I think. And uh, the actual race was was phenomenal. Um, I think it was my first time being back to like a mast swim start because we haven't had that since really the start of COVID. Everything has been rolling starts. So straight away, it was uh, trying to get uh, the, the elbows, the, the shoulders out wide to try to uh, hold your own in the water. I always can't wait till I finish the swim in any triathlon, Ironman, it doesn't matter what it is. So once I'm finished, I kind of feel then the race is starting and I'm ready to rock and roll. But uh, I got out of the water and uh, went to kind of press the button on my watch to, to get into T1. And my watch totally blanked and nothing left. The screen was totally black. And all I could think about was the pace that I was supposed to hold on my run. And I, I am so bad at holding a pace if I don't have my watch. So to be honest, that actually got my head around being tired, anything like that. So anyway, I hopped on the bike and the bike was absolutely amazing. Um, it was, I think it's one of the hilliest 70.3s you can do um, by 15 or 1600 meters elevation. So right up my street. Uh, you don't have to look at your watch. You don't have to look at your computer. Your, your legs just have to work no matter what. So uh, thankfully, I saw a few people coming back to me and it always gives you a little bit of a um, kind of a little bit of an oomph when, you, when you're catching a few people. So I, I couldn't believe when I was on the bike course, I looked down at my computer, there's only 20k left. And the last 20k was like full on steep descent, nearly the entire way to the finish. And I actually remember just smiling to myself on the descent. God, this is freaking awesome. Why doesn't everybody do this for it? <laughs> and then it dawned on me, I used to have uh, 21K to go and it's about 35 degrees heat right here, you know? So, um, but once I finished the bike, uh, my mindset always is, oh, cool, running your thing. You're all good. Just pop the runners on. I was wearing paper flies for my first time as well. So I was like, surely these will give you an extra little boost, you know? It was the first time as well where you're on a race course where every single corner of the race course has somebody there. There was only a small Irish contingency over, but a massive Irish crowd. You could just see the flags everywhere. So I can't help but smile no matter how tired I am when I see people and you're wearing your name on your on where your number would generally be. Um, so people are calling your name and they're going, do they know me? And I'm like, oh, thank you. And I'm like, no, head in the game, get to the finish line, you know. Um, and thankfully, uh, Chris Mintern was there. He was supporting his girlfriend as well. And uh, he was it kind of shaped me out the play by plays of the other amateur athletes and where they were. So when I found out I had three minutes ahead and I think I was had three K left, 
I was just able to kind of enjoy the last 3K. And it's hard to do sometimes, you know, you really are just looking for that finish line. But uh, no, enjoyed it. Saw friends in the finish line giving high fives. <laughs> it was just a really special moment. I think like unless you do, unless you've done an Ironman, you probably won't. It's hard to explain. That was my first one. So to see the red carpet, I was actually like, this is a, this is a pretty sweet feeling like to get here, you know. And I think for me, especially because I didn't know if I would be at the race. And I didn't know if I would, uh, should be at the race. So to cross that finish line, yeah, it was awesome. And did you know when you crossed the finish line how well you had done? Um, I know Chris had been shouting the results to me, but I actually wasn't. You're so tired. It's, it was crazy heat. Like Gav had said to me uh, to grab water at every single station. And like there was thousands of aid stations. It was incredible. And I was there going, there's no way I'm doing that. Like that'll really slow me down. Like Joanne, I grabbed two bottles at every single water station. So, I mean, you're, you're just exhausted just from the heat, regardless of running fast or not. And so when Chris had said to me, you're three minutes ahead, I actually wasn't sure if it was overall or if it was my age group. And to be honest, I just had, I was so focused on trying to get a slot to world champs. And I knew I just, I knew the first person in the 30 to 34 category was going. So that was, that was my only intention. And that was my only wish was to get first in that age category. So actually, no, it wasn't until a little bit after the race uh, that I was told I got overall. And then I was like, what? This is awesome. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was crazy to think it, but pretty cool. You mentioned there that you grabbed water at every aid station. Now we didn't have thousands of aid stations <laughs> on the course. Like <laughs> there was probably one every 1.5k on the course, maybe. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so just in case anyone thinks there was thousands of of, uh, of aid stations. But how did you deal with the heat? Because that can really upset a, a race day strategy if you haven't accounted for the heat and, and the loss of sweat as you're racing. Well, I was, I was actually saying to Gav, I had done an awful lot of my running on the treadmill in UCD, which is um, an absolute sweat box if anybody knows it up there. Um, and it probably paid dividends in the end. I had uh, done kind of a brick session on the Friday before the Sunday. My boyfriend had joined me for that. And he, like, we weren't running that fast and he was doing well, but he was like, this heat is killing me. And I was like, oh, I didn't even realize it was that hot. So straight away, that gave me a lot of confidence going into Sunday because I had almost fueled myself into thinking I was totally acclimatized to the heat, but then it wasn't supposed to be as hot as it was in the day. So to be honest, I didn't really think about it. Um, I think now, um, thankfully, I've gotten uh, the support of precision uh, fuel and hydration. So I'm learning a little bit more about I suppose, how to really nail your hydration strategy in particular uh, when it's when it's hot like that. So I'll be using their products and I'm sure having heard from my friends that are all all about them that, uh, yeah, they'll help me cope with it in the future. And of course, you're heading to Utah, one of the hottest I places am. on earth. <laughs> I know. I don't know what, uh, going to a hot place, I never think about how hard it will be. I just think about the afterwards and getting a tan and being, my, being at the poolside. So I, I, do you know what? I um, I would much rather it be hot than be cold. Um, I've got five months to prepare myself for that. So I, I welcome it with open arms. So how much advice has Hilary Hughes given you about Utah at this stage? Well, do you know what? We were exchanging uh, voice notes that were about um, 20 minutes long. And then she drops me a 30 second voice now going, oh, yeah, Utah, um, hit me up. Let's discuss. <laughs> and I was like, could we have flipped that around and sent me the 20 minute voice note on Utah? So, uh, so yeah, she is super, super excited for me. Uh, she's such a legend. And so she's going to give me all the tips, tricks, places to stay, places to go. And uh, yeah, I'll be picking her brain no day before it. And are you excited about uh, racing at the World Championships? Yeah, it's mad. Like, 
I suppose I've been in two other sports at a quite a high level and I got to the Worlds in one of them, but it was more so at school level. Uh, I got to the Euros in the other one. But to kind of think that you're going to the Worlds, to me, it's big. And like I've been spending the last few years watching the pro athletes in the Worlds and, and the amateur athletes, never thinking that I'd be there for a triathlon. So to know that it's uh, this year, first of all, and only a couple of months away, yeah, I'm super stoked by that. I want to talk about your background in sport, but before I do, I want to finish with the Marbella piece. You mentioned there that it was hit and miss as to whether you'd be able to go or not because you got COVID shortly yeah, before I, Marbella. I, I did. I uh, I was talking to my coach, Gav, and um, we had decided that we'd go to Marbella maybe just, just over three weeks out. Um, I'd been carrying a bit of a, a running niggle, so I hadn't actually done that much running. So we said, look, we won't be 100%, but I really wanted to go. So I was there going, look, willing to take the risk. And I'd, like, I'd love to tow the line. And we wrote like, okay, let's do this. And then booked everything that night. So there was no going back. And three days later, I got COVID. And it was okay because I still had, um, I suppose, uh, two weeks left. But then COVID developed into a pretty bad chest infection. And then I had to start antibiotics, had to start a second course of antibiotics. So I was finished them the week of the race, a couple of days beforehand. And so obviously uh, the plans to start some running outside, get off the treadmill and um, do some bricks had to be pushed to the side. And so people keep saying to me, oh, you see, Becky, rest and recovery is everything. And I'm there going, no, don't feed me with that. (laughs) They were like, you performed well because you rested. And I was like, no, being ill and resting is is totally different. (laughs) I would have much preferred to train into it. So did you train much at all before Marbella between, I suppose, the end of COVID and your race? Well, the like when you're out of isolation, say day eight, I had trained that weekend, but I just developed a kind of a lower uh, lung chest infection. So I had to start the antibiotics straight away in the Monday and I couldn't train. Like I actually felt really just, uh, I suppose I know myself, I've got asthma, so I know when it's bad. So um, I was off work again. So literally spending the days inside, trying not to think about everything that I was missing and try and just think about, gosh, look at everything you've done already and trying to focus on that. So I got back training properly, probably a, a week before. Now, nothing, nothing crazy, very light stuff. And then uh, I'd say the, the Tuesday and the Wednesday before the Sunday, I was able to do two good sessions. And that gave me enough confidence just to say, let's go. And did your heart rate spike at all? And the reason I'm asking is because I've literally come through COVID <laughs> and I've done a couple of like easy sessions and the heart rate has spiked at points where I would have said, oh, shouldn't have spiked there and even today now we did a spin and there were certain points where um I was like no it doesn't feel like I'm pushing a 161 and you know one of the girls that was with me I was like what's your heart rate she's like 150 and I was like yeah definitely there's a 10 beat difference yeah because we would normally be very very similar yeah definitely lingered with me say a couple of hard sessions I did before the race um I don't have to admit I try not to I tried purposely not to look at it because I didn't want to know but you know when you're in the middle of a session and it's not incredibly hard it normally is well within you and you can actually feel your heart in your mouth but it was more so that didn't that doesn't bother me to be honest uh I like going hard and I don't mind feeling the heartbeat like that but it was more so when you're going to bed afterwards a lot of my sessions would have been after work and like you you just you could hear your heart while you were while you were trying to fall asleep and to me that was the scary thing about it then I woke up the next morning and I was like okay cool let's go again but it was a little bit scary and I was a bit worried about I suppose you hear about um uh, the consequences of training and you know with COVID and the aftermath of COVID and you're supposed to take it super easy and here I was a hundred percent 120 percent racing in Marbella no, nobody could stop me no matter what but I at the back of my head I was uh, just a little bit uh curious as to what might happen so I actually had usually worn a whoop and in the middle of COVID I decided to take the whoop off sometimes I think <laughs> 
you're better off not knowing if you've decided that you're going to do something and you really want to do it. I think those kind of getting extra data and information can mess with your head a little bit, you know. And how's the body after Marbella now, after pushing through the pain barrier, through the, the <laughs> 70.3 miles of racing? Well, right now I feel fantastic. <laughs> but after after the race, the death, I think between the heat and uh, a little bit of a, a, a bumpy build up, the Monday I was, I couldn't believe how tired I was on the Monday. But by the Tuesday, I was back in the bike. <laughs> got my boyfriend to rent a bike brought him brought him to the start at uh, the first 20k hill just you want others to appreciate what you've done <laughs> so yeah it definitely took I think I think when you're not used to racing in heat like that um and you haven't uh prepared as well as you would love to um it definitely takes a little bit more out of you but I was really sensible with my return um and the week after was super super easy sure I stayed with Maria for a holiday probably the best thing I could have done um I don't normally do that I like kind of coming home from things and kickstarting the training straight away. But I just thought, no, look, you deserve a little break. <laughs> Go enjoy yourself. Um, my twin sister has been slagging me to no end um, since the start of COVID because my skin has gotten pastier um, by the month. And she is <laughs> she was on maternity leave. So she could like say it in her garden and build a gorgeous tan. And she's like, people are never going to get us mixed up anymore because you're like Casper. <laughs> I won't tell you what she described herself as, but anyway. <laughs> so anyway... I got my revenge when I came back to one and that was one of the best things that I brought home with me. <laughs> For those of our listeners that don't live in Ireland, Casper was the friendly ghost. <laughs> How do I, I remember no that? that oh my God. You no longer have Casper the friendly <laughs> no. ghost either. You mentioned your sister, your sister there, and your sister yeah. is actually sports mad, successful female athlete as well uh, in basketball and indeed yeah. in running. But you do come from a sports mad family. So let's go back and talk about them for a while and how okay. you ended up involved in sport in the very first place. Well, I, I suppose my family always had my parents. So they made the choice to have five kids under the age of five. But obviously there were twins in the mix there, you know, Sarah and I fall. I've got an older brother, an older sister. Um, uh, myself, my twin, and then a younger brother. So um, we always say it was easier for them to get a break if they just brought us to swimming or brought us to the basketball courts or brought us to the tennis courts, you know. So anyway, I think uh, unbeknownst to them, we became slightly obsessed with sport and then they they turned into the taxi man and the taxi woman. But uh, to this day, they probably still are. <laughs> but yeah, we were, I suppose we all started um, in the pool from a really, really early age, probably five or six and that was the, that was the family's main sport growing up. And I remember never being able to miss a day because to go to the pool and to have five kids going to the pool is actually really expensive. That's probably where my hate for swimming came from because uh, you you can never ever miss a day. So like myself and my twin, we'd arrive at the same time as our brothers and sisters, and uh, we'd walk out of the bank about twenty minutes later. And the coaches would be like, "Did you not arrive at the same time?" And we're like, "No, no, we came with the other parent. We just really, I think at that age, you do what you love." We you didn't really understand how to train. You didn't understand what training was. Um, so we kept up swimming until the age of 13. Um, we went to, there was a, a swimming camp in Lanzarote. So my twin and I were like, cool, look, we'll stick with that. We'll go to the camp in Lanzarote and then we'll call it quits after that. So in the, in the interim, we had taken up basketball and we absolutely fell in love with the sport. Just the skill that's involved, the speed, it's so dynamic. So we found ourselves in the basketball court 24-7 in Lanzarote and we missed competitions against other teams that had been in Lanzarote. I, anyway, I don't think our coach would have let us come back to the swim club even if we wanted to. So, uh, so that's where basketball began then. And then um, we also, uh, I think through the community games, we got picked up by our local club, Clonaf Harriers. 
So uh, I suppose basketball and running were our two main sports growing up. We we just absolutely thrived in, in the sporting environment. Um, and we, we were really lucky. We, we had gone to secondary school at that stage and we just had the most phenomenal uh, secondary school team. We, we actually didn't lose a match in six years um, in secondary school. And because of that, we got to represent Ireland in the World Champs. So at that stage, Sarah and I had become completely obsessed. Um, so we were trying out for Irish basketball teams. We made say, the under-18s, under-20s. And then she actually went on to captain the Irish national team. Um, and that's when I kind of turned to running. Uh, I'd missed a lot of opportunities to get in Irish teams because I suppose with basketball, you're traveling so frequently. Um, you're away in different countries. And even if you're not, you're away in different counties at the weekends. So even though I was giving my all to running, I was probably giving more to basketball. So whenever I turned up a running race, I would just fall short all the time. You know, say what was top three to go, I'd be fourth. It was top two, I'd be third. So I decided one year, I think it was second or third year in college, that I was my last year under 23. And I just wanted to dedicate a year to, to running and to see how it went. So that turned out really well. Made my first Irish team. I think I was 22 at that time. Um, and then uh, running just completely sucked me in. And I was like, I can't go back to basketball. No, I did. I went back <laughs> a few times when uh, there was they needed a point guard in the Irish teams, but eventually just went going ho into the running scene and went from cross country to road and then ended up uh, the last stint. I was four years just uh, kind of focusing on the mile on the track. So that's that's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, I could describe my brothers and sisters' journeys, but I'm not going to bother. It was a very sporty family. <laughs> I think if his family had been around, I should have family had been around kind of when we were younger, when my parents were younger, oh, we would have applied for that. Oh, the probably would have got in. Well, you know what? We always have a fight at the dinner table because uh, there's five of us, and obviously only three kids are allowed in. So it, oh, it's always okay. So you, oh yeah, sorry. Um, at the, do you know what I mean? I was like, what do you mean? There's five of you at the dinner table because so, three sorry, of you are Do you so, have to sit? <laughs> sittings for dinner. <laughs> that's so funny say we go home on Sunday night we always try to go home with the parents on a Sunday and uh, it it comes up I would say once a month minimum so if we were to go to Irish fitness families even though we definitely aren't at this stage in our lives who would we not bring do you know <laughs> anyway Joanne I'm happy to say I get chosen all the time make the cost? They, they need an endurance athlete who can dabble in quite a number of different sports so uh, thankfully triathlon has got me at uh, my place in the team <laughs> And, and did I read that you were also involved in gymnastics at some point as well? Oh, I was, yeah. I think it's a pattern on your podcast. I think people that end up in triathlon, I was I was a gymnast uh, from maybe the age of six to 12. Um, I dabbled in camogie and got myself a Leinster medal. We we laughed so much at that because I was absolutely shocking and so was my twin. But we we made it to a Leinster final. The, the score was one gold, one point. My family said they were pulling their eyes out and they were never going to go again. So we were like, okay, not, not really keen on the camogie scene. Um, played a lot of tennis and my dad was an absolutely excellent table tennis player so he taught us all how to play table tennis and we would have dabbled in that quite a bit as well so uh, it's a cool skill to have because it's always kind of like a holiday thing if you want to get competitive on the holiday there's always a table tennis table around to know so uh yeah did you ever do like a family community games at home out in the back garden (laughs) oh john my older sister was the best at coming up with uh, games like that she was so imaginative that uh, uh there was I think that's where our competitiveness stemmed from the very early ages of four or five when you just wanted to beat your brothers or your sisters, especially being a twin because you definitely didn't want she's younger than me. So I definitely didn't want her beating me, you know. (laughs) Is she younger by much? 17 minutes. She's That's a lot. I know, but she's got that chilled kind of vibe about her. She's a bit more chilled than I am. (laughs) She's a little bit horizontal compared to me. (laughs) 
So yeah, it, it suits her personality that she was a little bit delayed coming out. Were you a good student in both sport and your academics or were you mitching to go play in sport? I think we probably have the personalities where you might think that uh, we wouldn't be keen in academia and and Mitchell and, you know, we were involved in every sport in school, so we did probably miss a bit. But no, uh, we were really lucky. We had our, the group of our 12 uh, on the basketball team. We were we definitely spurred each other on and everybody on the team was super academic. So it almost like when someone did well, you wanted to do as well. So no, my my brother and sister would have been very academic and it was always a little bit of a competition to see who could get the best junior cert result, who could get the best leaving cert result. I think being an, uh, an athlete in Ireland, my running coach used to always say to us, like, don't lean too much in your sport. You need to have a profession. And if you're in a good profession, you'll find you have so much autonomy then to train uh, as you want to and you'll fit in the time. So no, we were really good at balancing our time between basketball running and I mean we were on so many different teams all in one go and then studying as well you just I, I always remember the quote like if you want something don't give it to a busy person and that was the def- definitely the case it's funny though because my twin uh I she would always say that she'd see me upstairs in our room studying and she'd be like oh crap I better go do it too do you know <laughs> so because you know you, you one twin can't do well and the other twin can't have a good enough excuse if she doesn't do as well do you know so uh, we had a we had a very friendly competitiveness uh when it came to studying as well, which, which a, a, definitely boded well for us. A good family rivalry. And of course, Gavin Noble is a big advocate for getting your education. And you mentioned Gav, who's been on our podcast as well. And his big thing was, you know, you, you need to have your education and your yeah. sport together. And, and he's a big advocate of that because you don't know where your sport is going to lead you and what path it's going to lead you. But, you you know, your education can can happen alongside your sport. Yeah, 100%. I, I spent six years in college. Um, I, I suppose you have to be motivated in secondary school with a, a drive and kind of a little bit of an understanding of where you want to go. And if you have that similar to sport, you'll get there. I think a lot of athletes are like that. I knew I wanted to do something in the medical field to know whether it be doctor, uh, physio. My mom was a nurse. And then I just landed on speech and language therapy. I think because I'm such a chatterbox, it suited me down to the ground. So I knew I wanted to You should to set up your own soon. podcast. <laughs> oh, Joanne, I can't even handle my own social media pages. Never mind a podcast <laughs> platform. But uh, yeah, and I think um, the points are pretty high. So it actually, it worked out well. So I knew I had to study so hard. But then and at this stage, I was a runner. Um, so even if your coach told you you had the most excruciating session coming up, you didn't care because you just could not wait to close the book, finish your studying and get out the door. So training almost became a bonus and something I was so grateful to do and to get in the fresh air, no matter what. And I still kind of feel that way these days. So the minute like I, I still work full time, I've, I've gone down to a four day week, still feels I work like five, five because you, you kind of do the hours on the other days. But it's great to have one day off. But uh, after a hard day in work, like you're, you're so tired. And all I can think about is, oh, sweet, I've got a session to do. I never look at the session. I'm like, oh, that's going to be really painful tonight. To me, it's, oh, cool, this is a break from what I've just done. Do you know? And that was one of the reasons why I didn't get into physiotherapy route. I really wanted to do a profession that was nothing to do with sport. That sport was always your outlet, always something that you'd be super excited uh, to lace up or to, to do, to, to get out there and do, do you know? So speech and language therapist, what does that entail? So I'm out in the National Rehabilitation Hospital and I work with um, the paediatric cohort out there. So from kids from zero all the way up to 18. So definitely a very dynamic group of people that I that I work with. And I suppose their parents have to accompany them. So you're also working with 
the parent as well. I treat um, any children that have had an acquired brain injury or an acquired spinal injury. And that can be through, um, I suppose, traumatic accidents um, uh, like car crashes. I suppose a lot of kids just have generic falls that can turn a little bit worse. Or uh, I suppose we're seeing a lot more children that have uh, oncology issues. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's, it's a cool profession to be in. I think it makes you, it, it definitely gives you perspective. Anything that you might think that you feel like you deserve a little bit of sympathy for, you quickly put that to one side. And uh, yeah, there's no room for that when you work in somewhere like the NRH. But I suppose what I do is for anybody that has lost their ability to communicate, whether that be their speech uh, has become a little bit slurred or they've actually uh, can't say words, they can't produce sentences, they can't engage in kind of conversation, or likewise, they don't understand anything you say. That's one side of things. And the other side is people that have lost their ability to swallow. So that would be the area that I kind of specialized in and did my master's in. So that would be my niche area. I get a lot of slagging from my family about that. I When I give them the proper terminology for it, they all think I do speech and drama, arts and crafts, because I might have to bring things home and just finish off, you know, a bit of arty stuff to get the kids really motivated the next day. And you don't have time and work through that. So they only see me making things. And they're like, oh, Peggy, you're going to go in and play with the kids, do some art. And oh, the only word they know is this word called dysphagia, which is a swallowing difficulty. They're like, so you're going to do some art in the color and do that dysphagia thing. <laughs> so I do not talk about my job at all around my family anymore. <laughs> It stays in the doors at the inner age. <laughs> yeah, my, my mother still asks me on a regular basis, even though I've been um, presenting since 2011 and, and working for myself since 2016. What is it you kind of do again? What's the <laughs> stuff you do when you're not in a microphone? I'm like, oh my God, mom. <laughs> I feel your pain, Joanne. <laughs> so we've talked about basketball. We've talked about your twin sister and her sporting escapades and success. And we've talked a little bit about your running. Where did cycling come from? Do you know what? It, it took me by surprise, <laughs> just like your tone of voice there, Joanne. Um, I, uh, so I was a track runner and um, I've been doing a lot, a lot of miles week in, week out. And I think the inevitable happened, like it does to a lot, a lot of athletes. I got a really bad injury. Um, and this was just a, a break to my navicular bone in my foot. So you need your feet if you want to run. And you particularly need your feet if you want to, I suppose, if you're a track runner, you hit the, the track so hard if you want to go fast, you know? So that was in 2016. And um, so I decided to tog up and get back into the pool. I suppose when, you, when you're used to feeling fit, it's really hard to let it go. So um, thankfully for me, my other athlete friend who just lived across the road from me, she was also injured. And uh, because I used to play for Mercy DC basketball team, DC gave me free access to the pool. So she would collect me. We go to the pool every single morning. I mean, I, the last time I swam, I was 12 or 13 years of age. And now I was 28 or something like that. So I uh, absolutely just got a love back for swimming because we, we brought a bit of fun to it. There was no real, you know, set time, set sessions. We would just see if we wanted to go hard or slow that day, you know. So anyway, when I actually had to go back to work, say when I was out of the boot of the cast, um, I was like, oh God, I work over the south side. I'm going to have to join a different uh, club or pool. So I ended up getting membership in UCD. I met the most amazing group of people. And to this day, four years later, we still meet every morning at 6 a.m. And we have two different groups uh, just two different levels and I bring the set that Gavin gives me sometimes they might bring a set themselves and uh, we knock it out for 90 minutes and it's the most eclectic group of people a lot of my lane at the moment are open water swimmers which is perfect for me because they're always like to me so um, they see me in the pool every morning they're like oh yeah 
where's your race again? Is she racing a pool or the open water? And they know I actually joined. My first time in the open water was in Marbella. And that was also my last time this year. So, um, so anyway, I got back into the pool in 2016, 2017. A lot of the people that I swam with also were triathletes. And uh, <laughs> there was a group of three of us, but one girl in particular, she was going to watch Carlo. It always seems to be the first triathlon of the year. And she just said to the group in the water, hey guys, going to bike to Carlo this weekend. Does anybody want to come? It's about 100k. And I was like, oh yeah, cool. Get me in. Being the enthusiastic, naive young girl that I was. I knew nothing about cycling. Joanne, I bought a bike a week before on the bike to work scheme. I was still all about kind of keeping up some level of fitness until I got back to the track once my foot started feeling better. And anyway, I took on that challenge. And as a runner, you don't really explore many areas. So to me, I knew the track and Santry. I knew Hoth, I knew St. Anne's Park, and I knew Phoenix Park. I really didn't know Wicklow at, at all. Wouldn't have known, um, I wouldn't have had any perspective on distance on the bike. So anyway, met her that morning, obviously my luminous orange uh, Nike runners, two pairs of cycling shorts. She actually gave me a, a jersey, I think, for fear that people would, you know, say, look, who are you cycling with there? <laughs> you know, anyway, we were about... I don't know. I would say about 20 minutes into the journey and we hit the first hill and I obviously gave it socks. I beat her up the hill. I thought it was deadly. Then I hit another hill and I completely lost her wheel. And anyway, she waited for me and she's like, just hang on to my wheel there. And I was like, okay, cool. How much longer have uh, we to go? And she's like, Becky, we haven't left Dublin yet. And Joanne, at that stage, I couldn't tell her. We obviously missed the start of the race in Carlo and we had planned to do the journey back. So it was actually a 200k round trip. Um, so needless to say, I spent the whole time in Carlo looking for any poor soul that I knew to be like, hey, the next room for a bike. So anyway, I went back. And from that day onwards, I really hate being bad at something. And I'm, I'm sure I wasn't bad. Like I had my running fitness, but she was an Ironman. Uh, like, you can't help but compare yourself, you know. So um, from that day on, I kind of was like, oh, I need to get. Uh, first of all, I love the triathlon scene in Carlo. So I was like, that looks like a pretty cool sport. So she kind of took me under the way, her ring, along with two other guys that were in the swim lane with us. Um, and for the next year, we used to line up in UCD at like 10 to 6 in the morning. There was four Watt bikes. There was four of us. And man, we legged it up those stairs once the gates opened to make sure nobody took Watt bikes. And we would just make up sessions. And I would do that every morning. I'd, I'd uh, kind of mix it up with swimming and, and biking. I kind of wasn't back running at that stage. And so <laughs> push came to shove. Sure, I had to enter a triathlon having done all the bike training, you know. So I uh, entered my first one. And my whole ploy with triathlon was, I finished being a competitive athlete. Look, I enjoyed the basketball. It was fantastic. The running was even better. And um, now I just kind of want to be a recreational athlete. And look, if I wanted to have a takeaway the night before a race, I'd do it. If I want to know if I wanted to have a couple of drinks the night before the race, look, you're a recreational athlete, do what you want. And anyway, went to my first race, came third in the first one. And then after that, I got a couple of firsts. And that's when I realized I don't have it in my blood just to do something for the crack. I kind of just either go all in or I don't go in at all. So I got sucked into the triathlon scene in uh, 2018 and 2019. And I decided at 2019 it was time uh, to get uh, a good coaching system behind me. <laughs> so uh, my my sister's husband always said to me, even when I was a runner, that you can, you can do all great training, but unless your environment and the people that you're around give you those vibes and give you those good vibes and the positivity and that you're inspired and motivated by the people you're around, then you're probably not going to do that well. So I always remembered that. So Hope Up, I'd seen lots. Like I was training with some of the girls anyway that were in Hope Up. So that wasn't even a question in my mind. I was just praying the lads would take me on. And uh, yeah, haven't looked back since. Unfortunately, COVID came into play. So I haven't done that much competing. Uh, 
I've done Bantry 70.3 in 2020, Waterville 70.3 in 2021, my this year. So I'd love to get a really good swing at doing a bit more long distance, a couple of races in a row, you know, just, uh, yeah, they're so fun. I'm actually still stuck at the fact that you thought you could do the 100k. Oh, 200k, Joanne. No, 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 the 100k <laughs> and that you didn't realise you actually had to come home. So <laughs> did you did you get a lift home or did you cycle home? No, I did. I got a lift home from a person I, I knew well enough, but not very well. So I didn't care. I was like, thank you so much. And she lived in the Long Mile Road. So I live over the north side of Dublin. And once again, Joanne, I had no orientation. I didn't know roads, the bikes. Even like I knew how to get to the NRH in the car, but that's all roads that you don't really cycle on, you know, like on the M50. So I actually, it was lashing rain. I was like, yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for the lift. Yeah, I'll hop out here. No, that's, that's, it's great that you gave me the lift. Anyway, um, lands on the Longmire Road, had no clue where to go, had to get Google Maps out. I was soaked to the bone, went straight home. And uh, thankfully, though, to you know what, days like that harden you up. When you can do something like that, which to me, Back then, when I had no clue about cycling, it made then, whenever I was invited on more cycling trips or just like Sunday rides, everything felt so easy after that. Do you know what I mean? Did the girl that you went with, did she cycle home? No, she didn't actually. I, to be honest, do you want to know why? I think because she spent so much extra time on the bike getting there because of me. And um, so I think a, a, a trip that should have maybe taken her three hours, 30 minutes took us about five so I actually think she had all the physical capability in the world but she was mentally scarred no fair is her so her name's Laura she she's literally the one that got that kickstart in my cycling I have to admit and I think in triathlon if you're good on the bike it's what it's what to me it's the most sociable side of the, of the sport and it definitely like I used to take days off work and myself Laura and this guy called Bob and John we used to just take trips and it didn't matter rain hail sleet or snow we take the day off work and we spend the whole day on the bike and so it definitely I didn't realize it was preparing me, but when I first then towed the line to my first triathlon, like I was only on an aluminium bike, I think Tiago gear set, no aero bars, but it didn't matter to know. I was still able to hit it pretty hard because I didn't realize I'd done a lot of the work that needed to be done. Absolutely. Now I understand how to do train a little better. <laughs> so do you like those VO2 max sessions like Hillary loves smashing out? I do. I actually, I'm not great at taking it easy and I... I absolutely understand now that those sessions are as important as the harder sessions. But now when the harder session, sessions do come up, I really appreciate them. And yeah, I do. I put on some good music. Uh, there's no room for podcasts during those kind of sessions you no. have, because you don't really listen. You have to find a rhythm. And uh, it's probably a little bit of rap that that's, uh, I put on. I know it's crazy. Not my personality. But anyway, I, I think that Hillary and I are very similar in that regard. When we met up a lot during COVID to cycle. Yeah, a lot of the cycles where <laughs> you could get to the hill, top of the hill first. And poor Annalise was like, guys, <laughs> but then she would destroy us on the flat. So I think we got a lot of fat out of our system during the two years of COVID. And now we're a bit more sensible. Now that we now that we never get to see each other, we're more sensible. <laughs> You're more sociable as well, not dropping each other straight away. Um, oh, for sure, yeah. Speaking of rapping, Emma Porter said to me, Becky thinks Emma. she can rap, but not everyone would agree. <laughs> So there's this little story behind that. And we were in a Gilles before with Hope Up before, uh, before COVID hit. And I do, I love making up, making up raps. I used to be a bit of a freestyler. I lost a lot of my audience. I think they all left the country purposely. Uh, Joanne, it followed pretty quickly once COVID hit. A lot of that training group. <laughs> but yeah, I did it. I did a great rap. I didn't get the appreciation that I thought I'd get. But uh, I know I've been known to drop a beat now and again. <laughs> Are you going to do a rap for me now? You put me on the spot here, Joanne. <laughs> I'll give you a couple of minutes to think about it. <laughs> I'm pretty good at freestyling, but I don't, I think you'd get, you'd lose a lot of your followers. 
Okay, maybe not. Okay, wait, maybe we'll hold off. We'll actually get you to rap in person when I see you in person on a finish line. Okay, deal. This weekend, you won your first road race of the season. So you've done quite well in cycling as well as in triathlon. Yeah, I think uh, I just absolutely love the bike. Do you know when you take up a new sport? Like I, I might have had a BMX when I was when I was a kid, but I really didn't use it. I suppose you went on those little family jaunts down the, the coast road in Clontarf, but that was about it. Um, so when I got on the bike, there was just so much novelty to it. And last year in particular, I picked up an injury in, in Waterville 70.3. And you've done so much work on the bike just to get you prepared for the 90K and those kind of races that I didn't want to just let it all go to waste. So I kind of just asked Gav, what does he think about, instead of doing the triathlon national series, which I couldn't do now, I suppose trying my hand at the biking national series. And got totally sucked in. Not only did I do that, but uh, from that, um, I got invited to race on the Munster team for Rostamon. And that gave me a real taster of what kind of more that top end of biking is like. And what, because there was internationals in that race, what it's really like to race in a bunch. I suppose in the Irish circuit, it's it's not a massive bunch, the girls scene. So uh, yeah, that was that was a real eye opener. I remember the first day of Rostamon, uh, there was a hundred and something girls in the race. Um, and I, I couldn't believe I was in the center of all this. It was absolutely lashing rain. And all I could think about was, oh my God, I've got to do a hundred and something K in this bunch and not get dropped. And, you know, um, but that's what I mean. Biking super exhilarating, super exciting. It's it's unpredictable. Whereas I suppose in a, in a long distance triathlon, you go in with targets and you really hope and you've got a good idea that you can hit those targets. In a biking race, you have no idea. And you're going in like say at the weekend I was in, um, it was the Noel Taggart Memorial and I was racing with the A3 lads and there was a nice group of the girls in that race as well. And the first 45 minutes, Joanne, you have to just say to yourself, yeah, I got to give max 120%. Don't even think, just do because it's going to have to slow down eventually. And that's what biking racing is. Once again, you don't know and you're, you're going all out. You're really throwing yourself in that mix as much as you can, trying to hold wheels. You learn so, so much. Um, and it's a, when you do manage to hold wheels and then the race slows down a little bit, then it's super exciting. And you can improve your bike handling, your skills, so that when you go back to 70.3, there are no spurts. You feel so in control that it, I think there's a real good carryover between both sports, even though you're on different bikes. I don't think it matters. Like I go into a 90K like I've come out of the swim and I, I'm I'm actually really excited to get on the bike because like I said, you, you feel in control and you know what you can do. It's it's a lot more predictable. And because you've done all of these spurts throughout the, the cycling scene and all the races that you're involved in, if you do have to kind of kick it up a hill, it's not a feeling that you're unknown to. It's it's totally recognizable. And it almost it's almost like it flushes out so much quicker in a triathlon than it would in a biking race. And obviously the bike, the 70.3 distance bike is 90k versus the 100 and something you might have been doing on a, on a bunch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. And you still have a 21k at the end of it. But uh, I, <laughs> I like both. I think it's really like growing up, I always played the two sports. So I think for me, it's I, I like being able to go between one and the other. And I think they both really complement each other as well. Just the, the training for them even. What about um, feeling pressure going into races? Do you ever feel under pressure? Do you ever feel like there's a target on your back? Here comes Becky Woods is on the start line <laughs> for the race. How do you deal with um, some of that? Do you know what? This this might sound strange, but coming from track racing, like I was a 1500 meter athlete and that's a pressurized, I mean, you're super nervous on that line. You've got to get yourself into a great position. And Joanne, you've only got four minutes, do you know? So, and even I, I dabbled in a lot of 800 meter races to prepare for the 1500. So 
if you make a mistake, it is race over. There's no coming back from it. So in triathlon, even the sprint, I suppose going from being a four minute athlete to now doing something that was minimum an hour, I was always grateful that I could get over that running injury and be on the start line of another sport at a good level. And that, yeah, I was probably always, always the happy person chatting on the start line. Inside, I was like, yeah, ready to rock, you know, can't wait to, to throw down some good paces. But I haven't felt pressure yet. I think if you're on the pro scene and there's people that are all kind of, you're all around the same times and it comes down to the run and you know that, gosh, this is going to be decided on the run. Then I'd probably be like, okay, you got to get ready for this. You got to have everything together, you know? Um, but I don't know. I At the moment, I'm just relishing in, in racing um, particularly because COVID uh, scuppered that for a lot of us, well, for everybody, that, uh, yeah, I I obviously feel the nerves, um, but I never feel under pressure. So what's the plan for the season? You have the first win of the season in the bag in Marbella, but what's next? Are you going to go back to sprint and Olympic um, or will you focus now fully on 70.3 Worlds? The long-term focus is definitely 70.3 Worlds and I'd love to be able to get in uh, national champ 70.3 um, before that. Um, I suppose it's all about staying healthy and injury free. But yeah, I always think uh, jumping into a few sprints and Olympics, they're so fast and they're so hard that I think they only do you good. Um, and they almost make that more steady, but very hard pace in the 70.3 seem more manageable. So I'd love to do that. But for the moment, I, um, I'm going to spend June on the bike and uh, going to race again next weekend and then build towards national road race national champs. So as I've done it two years in a row, I may as well make it three. Um, I've made top 10 the other year, so I'd love to see if I could approve upon that. So that's on the 25th of June. And then uh, I, I'd love to get back to doing some triathlon then in July and aim for nationals. What about any future plans in terms of a professional career as a triathlete? Is that something that's potentially being considered? <laughs> it's funny that you ask that. So like, even when I was on the start line in Marbella, the, the professionals are split up from us. So, so the female professionals, there's 12 of them and they got to go six to seven minutes ahead of me. And I was kind of like, oh, I'd love to be there. Just, uh, I suppose you always want to race against everybody in your sport. I don't like being separated from the best of the best. But yeah, I was, I suppose I'll be going to Worlds and we'll see how I get on in Worlds. Would love to do it. I think, I think being at the top end of your sport is unreal. Um, I just want to race against the best people and that happens to, you have to take out your professional card if you want to do that. So I'd absolutely love to do it. I've also got a lot, a lot of learning to do still on the 70.3 scene. Like I've only done three. I've only done one Ironman branded event. So I've got a lot of learning to do, uh, but I can't wait to feel ready uh, to ask myself that question, when are you going to do it? So I think we're also a really nice indicator. And I know that when Emma asked you about uh, doing a 70.3, Emma told me that when she asked you about going long, that you told her, no way, I have no interest <laughs> in doing that. But then Gavin Noble told you to enter and the rest is history. Emma knows all my secrets. I know, she's <laughs> a great order. researcher. She sure is. Um, well, I have to admit, she is absolutely spot on. I even remember watching... Um, the Olympics and I can't remember which one it was but I remember seeing the two Brownie brothers and uh I was like oh god that is such a gross sport I can't believe they still have to bike and run so I think I made the first step just getting involved in the sport so when the idea of going long was put in front of me no it definitely didn't spark my interest and uh I remember back in 2020 Hillary was doing Waterville but um they could only take half of the participants because of COVID and she got in and I said oh are you happy you got in or like, you know, do you wish you didn't? And she's like, yeah, I'm stoked. And I was like, oh God, I feel so sorry for you. That is, that's really rotten having to do like four and a half hours or something off an event. 
she she was so funny anyway push came to shove a month later there was no other events really to partake in at the time and here I was doing all this training and uh so Gav just very fleetingly in a text message like hey uh what do you think about Bantry it's next Sunday I think it was the Saturday and it was a, it was a Sunday so it's six days and I was there so <laughs> I didn't respond straight away I actually met Hillary for a, a sea swim and uh I said to her Hillary look he just asked me do I want to do a 70.3 and I just I'm cool with the bike the run I don't really know um 21k like I'm not really keen on that but the swim is really daunting and she was like Bex but like you do lots of swimming and I said can we do the distance now and can I see how we get on anyway I had a really good swim and sea point that night and anyway I got back and I just wrote to Gal yeah cool kept me in game on do you know <laughs> I think one of my main reasons was I hadn't done a lot of running and it was 21k afterwards. But I always think if you do enough biking, it can get you, you can you're in a good place. So anyway, all of a sudden, six days out, I had entered these crazy feet and I had to text my mom going, any chance you'd feel like driving down to Bantry on, on the Friday? I'll, I'll book as a and b And she's like, what are you up to? And I said, well, you won't believe this, but I'm actually going to do um, a 70.3. She's like, what's that? And I explained this to her and she, she was like, is that for real? And then we have our family WhatsApp group. So I said, hey guys, uh, anybody interested going on a bit of a weekend road trip? <laughs> and they already think I'm a nutter for, for what I do. But that, that definitely confirmed my title as an absolute nutcase. But to be honest, Joanne, ever since I've done it, it took one race. It actually didn't even take me to complete the race. It took me in the race to realize how awesome it was. Because you do so much training as a triathlete that it's a real event where you can showcase all the training you've put in if you make a little mistake it doesn't matter do you know my transitions aren't beautiful still have to learn to you know mount the bike with the shoes attached but it's okay <laughs> you know I've got time to catch up on that stuff so yeah I've been hooked to the 70.3s and kind of aiming towards that distance ever since do you think growing up in such a supportive sporting family that it helped to shape you into the person and the athlete that you are today, that their influence on you and that family rivalry and the competitiveness and your twin sister and the bit of fun and but yet the competitiveness underneath it all, that that has helped to fire the passion for this particular sport and to fire that uh, determination in you to succeed in sport? hundred uh, percent. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, like even my parents were... Well, my, my dad was sporty-ish. My mom wasn't that sporty. But I don't think your parents need to be. I actually think it's personality traits. Like taking care of five kids at a young age where they're both working full-time careers. You definitely, I think, as you grow older, you don't see it when you're younger, but you see the resilience and the determination and the grit in them while having this super positive vibe 24-7, a smile on their face all the time, you know? So I think uh, we definitely, my whole family got it from them. But then we'd all be super supportive of each other and would have gone, my two brothers would have played junior cup and senior cup rugby and we would have gone to the finals for them. My, my little brother went on to play pro rugby. So we would have been going to matches. Sarah was on the Irish basketball team. So we would have been so supportive of each other. There was never that I need to do better than you. It was like, let's all do awesome together. Like, how far can you go? Oh, I wonder how far can I go, you know? So they were actually all super stoked that there's still one of us. So Sarah's, Sarah's uh, pregnant with their second child. My younger brother retired from professional rugby. Um, so I'm the only one at the moment continuing this kind of uh, kind of top level competitive sport. And they're all super, super stoked about it. So like even they were on the Ironman tracker trying to understand it, uh, getting play by plays for my boyfriend. They, they didn't want to miss a beat in Mumbai. They wished they could be there. You know, my mom was like, I wish I had gone over. And now they're all thinking of coming to Utah. So yeah, I think 
I think coming from a sporty family, but having those personality traits around me 24-7 definitely shaped me into this was the person and then then the athlete that I am, do you know? And and you mentioned there that you you said your dad was sporty, but your mum wasn't necessarily, but yet they facilitated this, the early morning swimming. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so yeah. they mightn't have been into it themselves uh, growing up themselves or been into swimming, but it was something that they did. And then I suppose that's a lesson for for people maybe who who might not be sporty, but yet want their kids to get involved in sports. It's totally OK. It's just, yeah. just get them moving um, and get them involved in sport in whatever it is. And, and one of the big things that I find comes through with everybody that I chat to is that nobody really goes into any one singular sport as a child. There's yeah. quite a few different sports. People try different things. They get enjoyment and energy out of different things, different groups of friends. And, and it all kind of changes and shifts throughout their lives. And then suddenly they get to a certain age. And it's like, actually, no, I've really found yes. what I'm loving. Mm-hmm. And what we're finding now is that runners are moving into cycling or moving into triathlon yeah. or you're finding cyclists are moving into triathlon or there's a little shift maybe from triathlon where you don't want to be doing all of it. You want Big to be time. doing yeah. a, a small focus. And the same with swimming. I guess it's quite special in that you have the three, the three sports in it. Becky, if I was to ask you away from sport, what puts the smile on your face? Oh gosh. Honestly, I've I'm I'm surrounded by really, really cool people, cool family, cool friends. And I, I do think I've always kind of lived by the motto that if people give you positive vibes, give greater positive vibes back. So it it just means there's if, if people are hanging around with you, they don't bring any, I suppose, moaning or something like that. If you've got that sense about you, you, you I think you attract people that are also energetic and people that have good vibes. So to, so to me, that's the big thing. And I've always been uh, conscious of it, like my circle, my environment, and I invite anybody into it. And I, I really appreciate the people that I have. Like I mentioned that swimming group, they've been super inspirational and they're there every single morning when you turn up. So it's it's reliability of people and friendships and having such a uh, close family network. I suppose I'm I'm passionate about a lot, a lot of things. So I do a lot of things. I keep myself busy. Yeah, it's hard to put it into words, actually. I don't know. I've never been asked that before. <laughs> I suppose it's like, you know, what do you do outside of sport? Like, do you to relax, to, to just have other stuff, but maybe your circle within your sport is your other stuff, even though you're not swimming, cycling and running 24 hours a day. Do you know that kind of way? Yeah, you're just, you're hanging with your mates anytime you get. Like it'd be, we, on a Saturday night, we typically go over to one of the girls' houses and, you know, cook, watch a flick, but we never actually get through the movie. And, um, you know, uh, meet up with my friends that aren't sporty for just, I'm not, I hate walking, but I will always meet up with somebody if we just get to hang out. You know, big fan of, of you know, sitting down to watch TV. Like there's so much stuff. Like Hillary and I always laugh. So we we never remember the conversations we have on the bike because we're always going hard on the bike that we always say we need to meet up and just hang out normally. And I think it delays uh, before COVID was our first time on a training camp just to actually chill out together. And we don't, you don't need anything, you know, you just need cool people around you, I think. And you can, there can be a smile on your face 24-7 because of that. When there isn't a smile on your face 24-7 and (laughs) you do a session that, or you do a race and you're disappointed or something happens that upsets you at work for whatever reason, dealing with a really um, emotive case maybe at work. How do you bring yourself out of maybe a space that you wouldn't like to be in? It's a really good question, I suppose, with with work. There definitely is a lot of that. But I've been, I suppose, working for 10 years and you, you have to learn to leave it at the door. But what helped me with that? And I always ask my colleagues, like, what do you do when you go home? Because what I have is something else I have to completely switch my mind over to. 
which is the sport. In sport, if I have kind of a bad day or an off day or injury, I suppose triathlon, it's triathlon super because like I've often gotten injured. I've unfortunately picked up a few niggles from running uh, on the triathlon scene. And I really appreciate having two other sports. And I definitely, I suppose when I was a younger athlete and I was always kind of trying to aim at, at the highest level when I was younger, if, if something happened, it would be the be on the end all. And I think as I got older, as I started working in the place I'm working, my mindset definitely shifted. And um, I got a lot of perspective on life in general and just to be grateful for what you can do. And I, I suppose what I always try to think of now is don't think about what went bad or what you can't do. Try to remember what went well and what you can do. Um, and your, my phone is actually sitting that I'm that I'm on at the moment is sitting in a cup called Mindset is Everything that my friend got me for Christmas one time. And I really think it is, you know, um, but I think that came with it definitely came with age experience. And uh, I suppose seeing I used to train with a lot of older athletes. And I suppose I still do. And you, you, you're inspired and you're motivated by the way they react to events. Do you know, and I think that's really important in triathlon training groups because you learn a lot, not just about the sport, but about reactions and yeah. I suppose how to deal with things. When I first came to Strathland and I was around older, older, I'm going to call them Iron Men in the sport, learned a lot from them. And yeah, you definitely appreciate that. So I suppose as I'm getting older and I'm training with a few youngsters, I definitely hope that I could, you know, be able to instill that in them as well. But sure, look, we'll have to wait and see, hopefully. Oh, I'm sure you are because I'm. I, I know there's plenty of athletes are inspired by what you've achieved to date and what we expect you will achieve in the future. Before I finish up, can I ask you what has been your proudest moment to date, either in sport or outside of sport? What are you most proud of? So my twin had her first child last year, and uh, so I became godmother for the first time, and she called the child Quinn Becky. So a sport's great and all that, but I think it's really important to you remember you do have a like outside sport there are other really important things so to me that was it might sound funny but that was definitely one of my proudest moments becoming a godmother I suppose because my twin I feel like I'm a mom living vicariously through her a little bit without all the nappy changing and all that but to me that was it was a super sweet moment uh if it was sport uh to be honest um probably Marbella because I really had no clue it was the first time going to a race where I had no clue how it would do. And getting to the finish line was um, kind of a success in itself. So, yeah, so they're the, they're the two, two, two opposite ends, I suppose. Well, Becky, it's been absolutely fabulous talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you. Where will I see you on a finish line? Utah, baby, if you're coming. <laughs> and if, if not, will, if will, not, I not uh, see you, sure. will I not see you before Utah? What, what finish line will you be on? So many of them. Well, Joanne, you drop me a DM and I'll make sure I'm on at least one of them. <laughs> as long as I get my name announced like Hillary did. She still talks about that being the coolest moment. <laughs> well, listen, I can't wait to see you in Utah. Best of luck with all Thank of you. Thank you so much. I'm sure we will cross paths along the way. I did say to Annalise so. that we should get herself and Hillary down to Galway, but maybe we'll bring you down to Galway as well and we'll go do some crazy stuff on the bikes. Although you better bring a bungee cord because I definitely can't keep up with you. <laughs> I'll be there, Joanne. We've already talked about a little trip in July, so uh, you might be seeing me sooner than you wish to. <laughs> awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much. And we'll Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. You can follow all of our activities and podcasts on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Pop by the socials and say hi. Let me know what you think of the show. If you are new to Try Talking Sport, please do check out some of our previous episodes. You will be both impressed and inspired by our guests. 
Finally, be sure to sign up to our e-zine featuring articles of interest, some great discounts and the inside track on supporting your triathlon and endurance sport journey, wherever it may take you. Sign up on www.trytalkingsport.com. It takes 30 seconds and I promise I won't bombard your inbox with emails, just the important stuff. Until next time, stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day.